Hello and welcome to That Was Football, a football nostalgia podcast designed to bring back the days where football really was the beautiful game. My name's Andy Ross and as ever I'm joined by Greg McDonald. How you doing mate? I am alright mate. I'm actually on the day, on the day this podcast uh, comes out this Thursday, I'm, I'm away to Greece for the Olympi- Olympiacos Panathinaikos game. So I'm just, um, this is my only day off in the week leading up to it so I'm just trying to kind of sort everything out but Aye, looking forward to it. Is it Olympic Stadium? Yeah, yeah, aye, in Athens. I took in Model versus Panathinaikos back in 2012 there. Ah, uh, oh, nice. Which is a, a memory I've got of that game because it, it's quite blurred, to be honest, because we had about two days on the, the sauce before <laughs> the actual <laughs> game. Uh, I mean, if, if you're going to watch Motherwell was, in Europe, you'll need a bit, wouldn't you? Champions League as well. Uh, Jeez, not man. something you can say about your own Dundee United. And also, <laughs> if you don't mind me, I'll remind you of the, the result yesterday as well. Uh, but, but what result? I don't know. <laughs> the uh, Michael Higdon came out for a warm up before the game, and it was about 40 degrees at the time. And he turned back and just Went back to the dugout and clearly like I've got no intention of coming on to this park at any point. Uh, <laughs> far, far too warm. Uh, what, yeah, but that'll a, be a, that'll be an amazing experience. Uh, what a pro! Yeah, well, that year he won the, the player of the year and uh-huh. uh, then got arrested after the the award ceremony as well. So, <laughs> yeah, my my type of player. To be uh, fair. Very much so. <laughs> So anyway, we'll get we'll get on with this, shall we? Uh, today's topic: Manchester United in the season ninety five ninety six. Let's uh, give a wee bit of, of background to, to this season. Man United were, of course, a dominant force after many barren years. They won the league in, in ninety two ninety three, and that just really kind of transcended the club. They, they would go on to. To really be the the dominant force in, in English football. The season 94-95, though they were they were upstage, weren't they? Uh, mm. an incredible story. Uh that's not been matched until Leicester City had their incredible triumph in the, the English yeah. Premier League. Can can we talk a wee bit about Blackburn winning this in the season 94-95? Because I think that's quite a good prelude into this Manchester United season? Yeah, sure, because, I mean, for guys our age, even if it was, as you said, their success only really began in the early 90s, for us, Man United were just the team in England, weren't it? Um, so when when they'd won, like, the last two seasons, was it? Yeah. And then when this Blackburn team appeared to come out of nowhere and, you know, trump them for the league title, Shearer and Sutton, it's it was quite it was a, it was a huge surprise to me even more so than when uh, Leeds won it you know a couple of years before this um, I think I think the Leicester triumph probably has usurped it in some ways but just because of the money Blackburn spent you know comparatively at the time but it still was such a shock at the time and um, because you just kind of thought of Man United would win the league every year wouldn't you Yeah and I think. That- the kind of circumstances, you remember the, the last game of the season, United were at Upton Park, Blackburn went to Liverpool. Now, even 
results had to go in Man United's favour. And they did. Liverpool held up to their part of the bargain by beating Blackburn. But Man United weren't able to go over the line against West Ham. I'm sure the game ended 1-1. And it was an occasion where United passed up so many chances. And as was a kind of common thread throughout Sir Alex Ferguson's time at, at Manchester United, there would be a almost a rebooting process where you would get fresh blood in. And that's kind of what happened after 94-95. A failure was followed by a, a real process of rejuvenation where he did hit the reset button. He had to introduce new faces into the team. He go into that summer and the likes of Mark Hughes and, and Paul Ince both move on from the football club. Mm-hmm. They weren't, there, there's no kind of underestimating how pivotal these guys were to the fabric of Manchester United. And he's moved them on along with Andre Kinchelskis as well, who went to Everton. Yeah, th- three massive players and three players probably in their prime as well. I mean, Mark Hughes was 31, so he was arguably maybe on the, you know, slightly on the decline, but Ince and Kinchelskis were both 26. So that's very much peak years for a footballer. And um, I mean, Paul Ince going to, going to Inter, you'd be like, right, well, fair enough. Serie A is a better league at this point. Inter can probably pay him more than Man United. It'd be a bit like if the reverse happened now, you know, if like Barella or someone went to Man United, you know, you could see that happening. But um, and Hughes went to Chelsea, you know, a, a, a league rival, which, I mean, Chelsea were a bit lower down back then. But Kinchelskis to Everton's a very funny one because I think Kinchelskis was Man United's top scorer the previous season, mainly partly due to Cantona's um, ban and stuff like that. But um, yeah, going to Everton's a very. I mean, Everton were, a, you know, their kind of top six team, but still, they're not at Man United level. I actually watched uh, as a wee interview with Alex Ferguson talking about well, these three transfers, but when he talked about Kinchelskis, he said something along the lines of, like, he says the die was cast with him because of his agent. So he said, he, you know, him, the chairman, Kinchelskis' agent, they'd had some meetings, and he said, like, quoting him here, it's, it's saying it was it was really heavy stuff. Some of the meetings between him, the chairman, and I were godfather-type stuff. <laughs> and and he says there was a few threats and things like that. It doesn't go into specifics, obviously, but something's, something's a bit funny about that. <laughs> and um, with Paul Ince as well it seems like it seems like there's a wee bit of a fallout there as well because Alec Ferguson mentioned how yeah it was kind of funny when he called himself the governor when he was like 21 but he's still doing it and it's kind of going to his head a bit so <laughs> that, I think that was kind of one of the reasons with Paul Ince as well but it's as you said it's three massive departures without anyone notable coming in there was, there was literally nobody came in yeah uh, Tony at, yeah, um, well, <laughs> the, 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 the first one was Nick Culkin, the um, the sub-goalkeeper, and he didn't come in until late September in '95. so yeah. over the summer months, United have been hit with these massive departures, and they've not, on, on the outset, they don't appear to have strengthened the squad, but of course, what was was coming in was that class of 92 and mm-hmm. he did take a, a, a massive, massive risk, Sir Alex Ferguson, in terms of bringing in the likes of, of Gary and Phil Neville, 
Paul Scholes, uh, you've got David Beckham as well, Nicky Butt. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's reset the side with a lot of, of young prospects. They begin the season with a, a 3-1 defeat at Aston Villa. Well beaten. David Beckham does score in that game, though, which maybe kind of glosses over a, a wee bit of the the result in terms of one of the young players that he's introduced has made a bit of an impact. Mm-hmm. The the famous interview comes in, in Match of the Day later that night. Alan Hansen saying, you'll not win anything with the kids. And looking back on that game, you wouldn't have seen any kind of prospect of that Man United team being able to turn it around. No, because... I mean, guys like the Nevilles, Beckham, Scholes, they're, they're household names now, but we wouldn't have known that at the time. And Aston Villa had spent a lot of money that, you know, that transfer window. And they they were kind of ones emerging after a difficult spell, you know, emerging as a kind of title threat. And when you see the two side by side, Villa win 3-1, it's like, oh, this, this isn't looking good for, for Man United. I mean, could you imagine that happen? You couldn't imagine that happening these days, could you? Like Man United, you know, losing so many players and just not bringing anyone in. Um, I remember, like, you know, I mean, they always they always ask the Glazers to sell and stuff. <laughs> the Glazers they still spend like two hundred million every window. It just I think it just shows you how spoiled some of the fans are now. I think, but yeah, well, that's a, that's a really really good point in, in terms yeah. of how like kind of reactive football is now as well, where. Yeah. You, you lose a player and instantly there has to be that kind of replacement and that impact. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost to kind of gratify the fans where, right, okay, yeah. we've lost the talent. What we need to do now is, is kind of paper over the cracks by bringing in anyone, no matter what the price is. And, and Man United are a, a prime example of that just now where they yeah. spend so much money and, and, and players... Uh, which quite often is a is a two or three year process to try and actually get the player that they want, <laughs> and by the time they get him, he's nowhere near as good as what they, as yeah. what it would have been when they when they initially kind of had an interest. It's uh, reactive signings into it all the time. Yeah, and and uh, I think that's uh, it, it's a kind of a social media type environment, really, in terms of. Where yes. most negative voices are the loudest voices, and and yeah, it, it just shows you how, how football's evolved in that sense. But yeah, and it's how, also how thinking. Oh, yeah. I know. In I... terms of, he's he's obviously put the faith in the, these young guys. He's got off to such a terrible start to the season. How, how much does that demonstrate the kind of? The faith that Sir Alex Ferguson had in these young guys, and also his kind of resolve in terms of he knew that he was almost kind of unbreakable at that point. Mm-hmm. He wasn't yeah. going to get the sack or anything else. Because again, you look at, at this season just to draw a bit of a comparison to it, when Ten Hag lost 4 0 at Brentford, you're thinking he could be at the door <laughs> no sooner than he's come in. But yeah. at, at that point, Sir Alex Ferguson was was almost untouchable. Yeah, resolve was the word I was thinking of. I think when I uh, uh, you were talking there, but no man, I felt sorry for Ten Hag during that. Like after after two games, 
<laughs> they wheel him out on Sky in front of a uh, uh, thingy, Neville and Carragher, and they're like interviewing him. And it's, you know, he's speaking his second language. Like, oh, I feel sorry for the guy. And like, pundits have so much power as well. As well. Like, see Gary Neville, like, I think he's a really good pundit in terms of like analyzing the game, but he'll say something and then just all these people on social media will just parrot whatever he says without, you know, it's not their own opinion, but they're passing it off as their own and it just kind of snowballs from there. But yeah, back, back, back then, I think Ferguson, you know, he had. He had about as much power as you could get as a manager in a club, even though we're kind of still not. Yeah, we're still probably in his earlier earlier days for Man United, but it just, I think, as you said, it shows what faith he had in those youngsters. Saying what can it's very rarely a manager will you may be like turn down the opportunity to sign players, but he he obviously did here and. As we'll go on, I think he may have been proven right. In that season, of course, it was the kind of you're, you're not winning anything with the kids. United also had, a, despite the fact that they didn't make any signings during the summer uh, break, they had the return looming out of Eric Cantona, who had, of course, been banned following the infamous. Kung Fu kick on the, the Crystal Palace <laughs> fan um, in the January of that year. I, I suppose while results improved domestically following that opening day defeat, that was that was something that was always going to be a a real kind of turning point as well in terms of you've got this high profile, fantastic enigma of a talent. Coming back into your your ranks, I can remember the the advertising campaign and everything else all around it. Um, <laughs> the Michael Bolton that, song. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that that was almost like a that was almost like a sign in itself, though, wasn't it? In in terms of yeah, you're able to to kind of reintroduce Eric Cantona into your your midst, and yeah, I mean, it's it has. Uh, you made an instant impact scoring against Liverpool as well. I mean, it's a cliche that managers always use it when an injured player comes back. He's like a new signing, or in this case, he was banned. But um, it was like I, I remember when he when he kicked that Palace fan. Though it was like it was like nine eleven before. <laughs> it's like where where were you when this happened? Because um, yeah, I I just remember. I think I was at my I was at my pal at Ian's house. We were just watching it. On grandstand, I think, and I don't even showed footage of it. They just showed pictures. I, you know, I didn't see like footage until until later. But um, that was just uh, that was such a it was global news. I remember when he when he kicked that Palace fan, and I as I as I mentioned when he, he was coming back in October for Man United, like Sky were running these video packages with <laughs> Michael Bolton's when I'm back on my feet again. Like a, a real kind of a real like hero's return. You'd think he'd just, you know, like recovered from cancer or something. <laughs> like he's like Sebastian Sebastian Haller or something, but no, he's he assaulted a fan, <laughs> but he's he's coming back. Um but to be fair, I am pretty sure that it was established afterwards and this might be the podcast shut down, so apologies if this is the last <laughs> ever episode. But the guy was a cunt, wasn't he? Well, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, it was well see, yeah, when he did it, I was like, Glasgow, <laughs> like, go on, Eric. Uh, but I, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe that's, maybe you're right. Maybe that's why he got such a hero's welcome. But I, I mean, that first game back against Liverpool, even though he's rusty, assisting a goal, didn't he? 
It's, it's good penalty as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, aye. And so and that was uh, within two minutes. Nicky Butt scored against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then makes it 2-2 as well from the penalty spot. I'm sure I'm right in saying that. Uh, yeah. Another kind of uh, notable thing about this season, and maybe we're jumping about a wee bit here, but there was renovation being done at Old Trafford as well. That's right. In that season. So the capacity was limited to what? I think it was around about 40,000. That uh, Liverpool game, there's only 34, 934 in the crowd. So you compare that to just now, Man United are about to play West Ham as we speak. Mm-hmm. There's 72,000 there. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite drastic, isn't it? Because it's like the main stand, isn't it, as well? That or like one of the one of the kind of bigger stands that's getting redone, and it's just, aye, it's just totally barren. Um, if that happens, I mean, we saw we saw it with Real Madrid the last couple of years. They were uh, they played at the trading ground, but even when they were playing at the Bernabeu, well, well, not it's still getting renovated, but they're back at the Bernabeu now. But it's a bit more sophisticated, you know, the way the way it is now. It's a bit more controlled and concealed the building work, but. Aye, <laughs> you know, Old Trafford and Quarter, it's just a building site at this point. It's quite, aye, it's quite funny. Not something you'd see today, I think. Following that defeat in the opening day against Aston Villa, United would win the next five league games, um, mm. and that would be followed up by a draw at Sheffield Wednesday, a draw at home to Liverpool, and then following that, they would beat Man City at home, they would beat Chelsea 4-1 at Stamford Bridge, and they'd beat Middlesbrough at home as well. So certainly following a, a shaky start, they really kind of started to build a, a great deal of momentum. There's a lot of kind of key figures during that opening kind of seven or eight weeks of the season. One of them, and I'm sure it'll be a figure that we talk about quite a lot in this podcast, is Roy Keane who wasn't renowned for, for scoring goals, but did get the winner against West Ham. He scored a brace against Wimbledon as well. He is clearly such an integral figure in that Man United team over many, many years. And I think that when Paul Ince departed, that really presented an opportunity for Roy Keane to step up and kind of make his own name. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't want to be kind of disparaging to him, but it was maybe a, it was maybe seen more of as a, as a part of the, the squad and not a standout when Paul Ince was also in the midfield. When Paul Ince leaves, it was really up to Roy Keane to step up to the mark and, and really make an impact. Yeah, I mean... Roy Keane, he's, they, they always say with him, it's it's almost like having a manager on the pitch as well, isn't it, with, with Roy Keane? And this was this was just part of, of, of him stepping up. I'd get the feeling if I was playing alongside Roy Keane, you know, in this kind of like 10-year period, you, it must feel sometimes, it must feel like impossible to lose because you just, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to piss him off. And, but like, I think um, like, Nicky Bott was seen as Paul Ince's successor. Obviously Keane was already, in, you know, uh, integrated into the team, but yeah, if you've got Keane, he's he's a kind of solid there, and you can rotate Nicky Button, Paul Scholes. Then yeah, it's it's very solid. 
of course, man, you were playing M four four two here, like um, every team, I think, in, in England were at this time. But uh, I think he's a bit underrated as a footballer as well, though, Keane, because yeah, so it, some some nice goals here, and he, he was always he was always a good passer as well. He wasn't just a it wasn't just a kind of pit bull. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've always liked Keane as a player. What's your verdict on him as a pundit? <laughs> Even better. <laughs> I, just, I just like when he gets to be almost beady eyes. <laughs> and you, you know that there's just a, a meltdown approaching. Yeah. <laughs> he uh... just rolls his eyes and then and then, then you know it's it's on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mika Richards has been the victim of that so so many times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the kind of he just commanded so much respect. And another one that was quite prolific in that early stage of the season, especially in the, the win at Goodison Park, Man United came away with a 3-2 victory, was Lee Sharp, who I kind of recall as someone that was... I mentioned that Eric Cantona was an enigma, but Eric Cantona was, was so, so prolific as well and had, had so much to back up. Mm-hmm. Lee Sharp was a kind of player that was possibly mixed up in the wrong sort of headlines in terms of the, the tabloid press and, <laughs> and join a night out and so on and so forth. And for me, he's the kind of player that that Ryan Giggs went on to be, but Lee Sharp had all that ability, but didn't quite manage to hit these yeah. these great heights. It, it, it was a, it was clearly an incredible player. He, he played for England as well, but just uh, possibly would look back on his career as, as as one that was unfulfilled. I think possibly, aye, because I mean he had the can't forget the sharpie shuffle as well. You know, as a celebration, <laughs> but it, it, it was almost it was almost you drew the comparison with them. Um, gigs but he was almost Beckham before Beckham wasn't he he was quite he was that kind of like pop star um kind of player and um you know I he, he played left mid but it was it was quite similar in that way uh again like yeah he did score he did score a lot of nice goals and things like that but um it was it did turn into a bit of a a bit of a journeyman you know um at, you know points in his career he was at Man United obviously but then you know he spent quite a, he had a few spells at Leeds didn't he yeah, I think you're right. Though slightly unfulfilled potential for the talent he had. The UEFA Cup um, qualification was secured by a finishing second in the league. So again, drastically changed days where teams now aspire to finish fourth so they can get into the Champions League. <laughs> and you, you you had Man United were runners up in the league. They, therefore going to the UEFA Cup and and massive disappointment there in the, the games against Rotor Bolligard and nil nil draw away. The home leg finishes two two. So Man United out and away goals. The game most notable though for um for Peter Schmeichel scoring in the eighty ninth minute. Yeah. <laughs> and and okay. I guess where the the overriding kind of memory that this season is that Man United had this core of youth coming through. They still had guys like Peter Schmeichel, Paul Parker, Dennis Irwin, Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister, 
Brian McClare, David May, Andy Cole. So they had a, a real spine of experience as well. It, it would mm-hmm. be a wee bit kind of naive to suggest that this was just a, this was just a, a, a kind of reserve team. Yeah, moving on to be a, a all first teamers because they had a they had a spine there that was already very very experienced and also. And I think this is more important than than anything else. The experience of winning things as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not like um, if you see a team today, maybe they're in financial trouble, they have to do a fire sale of all their players and they just end up playing the kids. It's not like that because, as, as we discussed, this was a choice made by Fergie to, you know, to let some of these guys go and to promote uh, these other guys. But um, obviously, I mean, Andy Cole was still fairly young, I think. But um, yeah, as you said, though, guys like Irwin, Pallister, Bruce... When you see Steve, Steve Bruce play, even back then, he, he kind of just looks like a normal guy, doesn't he? <laughs> that happens to be playing in the Premier League. <laughs> he just doesn't doesn't quite look like a footballer. But um, aye, the, 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 the young guys they've got coming through, they're, they're just so good. Like, when I was watching, um, I was watching kind of all of the Man, U- Man United goals of this season and so much it comes through Ryan Giggs. He's just like... Defences can't deal with him at all. He always dribbled in that way where he'd always go one way or the other, like, you know, keep kind of keep teasing defenders on the back foot. He'd keep going one way and the other. And they just, yeah, they couldn't deal with him at all because he was left footed. They could obviously, he could go on his right as well. And um, Beckham was still a kind of substitute this season, wasn't he? I actually remember, like, um, well, I remember only hearing about Beckham after this season. I remember it was like we were in the summer between this season and 96, 97. And uh, my cousin, my cousin James, that I talked about, who always played the the song, <laughs> we might get to later. Um, he, uh, he, he said something like, "Oh, David Beckham, he's he's going to be class." And I was like, "David Beckham, who's that?" And then it was only when he scored that goal against Wimbledon, you know, the halfway line goal, that that that's when I kind of noticed him. I've got no recollection of David Beckham this season, but when I see video of it now, this it contributes to quite a few goals, doesn't he? And it's like nice goals as well, so you could see. Obviously, I could see the talent was there, and uh, schools is schools is pretty in- integrated at this point as well, even as well as the Neville. So, aye, the class ninety two, they're very. I think Giggs Giggs really made a star for himself a couple of seasons before this, so he was already established. But yeah, everyone else is really really coming through with the helping hand of, like you say, the guys like McClare, Cantona, Irwin, Bruce Pallister. Um, so, aye, it's. Building up a, a pretty good team here. Yeah, and they, um, when you kind of mention that there, it was Nicky Butt of the, the class of 92 that made the most appearances in the league this season, um, oh. closely followed by Gary Neville. But uh, Beckham had 26 appearances of the 38 games. Phil Neville made 21. So it, it, it does show that while, and again, a good kind of comparison is Cantona played 30 times in the league. Mm-hmm. So he didn't, he didn't feature until October yeah. because of his ban. So so maybe, I, again, it, maybe I'm just trying to use some data here to back up my, my point. But <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a case that, that sometimes I think that the, the injection of youth, while it's, it's a significant point, is maybe a wee bit overstated in, yeah. in terms of schools only played 16 times from the start oh, of really? the season as well. Yeah. 
16 times it scored 10 goals over the course of the, the league's campaign. But, uh, <laughs> Not bad, is yeah. it? Yeah, certainly a, an incredible player, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that a wee bit yeah. uh, later. There's just a kind of wee, wee thread with Brian McClare, who I spoke to recently for the, the Motherwell programme, and uh, the kind of premise of the, the piece is we take 10 pictures from someone's career, and we get them to talk about each individual picture. Um, so I, I phoned up Brian McClare. Initially, we had an exchange, and that, this is the most confusing thing, uh, <laughs> where he said, he back to me and said, yep, that's no problem, Andy. 13 minutes past 10. And I had to explain that I had a, a meeting at work, but I could do quarter past nine, quarter past 11 instead. He said, okay, 13 minutes past 11. So at this point, I realised it was very set on the whole idea. It's got to be 13. <laughs> I, call, I called him up and um, bang on, 13 minutes passed. Uh, and he said, like, okay, we can do this. Because he called me at 13 minutes past. Not 12, uh, not 14, 13. Uh, so again, I'm, I'm kind of on the back foot straight away as we start this. Um, and I explained the kind of concept of this interview, blah, 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 we're going to take 10 pictures from your career. And his instant response was, you're assuming I can remember things. Fuck, <laughs> 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 we're, we're, really, we're really struggling here. This is, this is going to be a really long 20 minutes. <laughs> you're like, uh, yes, I am assuming that. You kind of... I felt like I was always on the back foot throughout the interview, but at the same time, I, I was kind of struck by, and very rarely, I've been quite privileged in that I get the opportunity to speak to quite a lot of kind of high-profile people, not because of anything that I've done, really, in terms of I'm just getting contacts, mm -hmm. and, and I enjoy interviewing these people, but Brian McLean, I was, I was kind of considering his career, both domestically and even with the national team as well. And you think, in terms of Scottish football icons, he's possibly quite downplayed in the in the scale, isn't he? Because yeah, what he achieved at Celtic with Scotland and also with Man United, especially, he had an incredible career. Yeah, because, I mean, we think of Man United in their pomp like this. They have a Scottish guy playing up front for them. All right, he wasn't, like, starting every week and all that, but it's still, it's one of the things I think we kind of overlook, isn't it? But, yeah, Brian McLeod, he was, uh, he was a very important part of this team. So that's us kind of uh, paid our tributes to Brian McLeod and giving him a glowing review. And, and, and to be honest, I, I think that I maybe came across as a wee bit dismissive of the fact that I did enjoy my interview with Brian McClare. Uh it, it just uh it's quite a quirky guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was cool uh, uh -huh. catching up and it, it did kind of strike me about how much success he had in his career. And and talking of the, the success, this Man United team that Alan Hansen so famously had written off 
following that defeat against Aston Villa and opening day of the season, it would take again until the 4th of November uh, 1995 for them to sample another defeat. That would come at Highbury against Arsenal, a 1-0 defeat there. But they would bounce back instantly, beating Southampton 4-1 at home, and then a 4-0 win at Coventry City. There was a wee bit of a dip, Greg, towards the end of November and the start of December. Mm-hmm. A 1-1 draw at Forest, a 1-1 draw at home against Chelsea, and then the 2-2 draw against Sheffield Wednesday as well. That's then followed by a defeat at Anfield and a defeat on Christmas Eve against Leeds United. At that point, did you kind of see that there was maybe a wee bit of a a turn in United's form and, and fortunes? Did you foresee that they would be able to recover from that? Well, I know at this point, Newcastle were pulling ahead. I mean, this was Newcastle were a bit of a surprise package themselves, weren't they? Because they'd only got promoted a couple of seasons earlier, but... They'd obviously they got Kevin Keegan. They'd spent really well. They got some really. They brought. I think they brought Aspria in in January, so just before this. But you know they brought Gina in that we talked about in our PSG episode. But I mean, it, it goes to show you though, because so I Man United go five games without winning here, uh, three three draws, two defeats, but they still don't go lower than second, which I think it probably shows Man United's strength in the English game at this point. Because if we talked about a top team in crisis now, all right, if, if Man City were, if Man City were like going anything below second, we might, uh, you know, look, you know, be a bit of attention. But any other team, it's only you'd only really think they're having a really tough time if they're like sixth or seventh or something. But Man United, for having such a supposed, you know, bad off season and bad start to the season, that you know, they're, they're still. Um, they're still very much in there. It's just, it's just that Newcastle have, you know, they've had a, they've had a great first half of the season. Uh, as we'd come to see, though, New, Newcastle's first half and second half of the seasons are very different. And um, yeah, uh, just after Christmas, Man U back at the races, aren't they? Yeah, well, I think a significant game was the the two 0 victory over Newcastle just after Christmas. That was followed up by. A narrow victory against Queens Park Rangers, but they started 1996 with a hammer at White Hart Lane as well, a four-one defeat there. So, kind of from that draw with Forest, which was the 27th of November, through to the nil-nil draw against Aston Villa on the 13th of January, they were really kind of sketchy for them, but they. They find their feet, they get a 1 0 win at Upton Park. They then go to Wimbledon and win 4 2, beat Blackburn 1 0, Everton 2 0, a thumping 6 0 win at, at Bolton. The 1 0 victory against Newcastle at St James's. And that's a game that it would be remiss of us to, mm-hmm. to skate over because that was one of these kind of Sky Sports events that was given a, a huge, huge build-up in, in terms of the magnitude of that game. You had a Newcastle United team that were so exciting, that they were playing free-flowing football that uh, really captured the imagination. I think that it was, it was almost kind of that underdog story, despite the fact that Newcastle are obviously a, a huge, huge club but mm-hmm. 
it, it, there was a sense that they were going to do something historic and go on and win that league. They host Man United. My recollection of the game, and I've, I've not even... <laughs> confession time here, I've not taken the time to, <laughs> to look back on it uh, in the build-up Shocking. to this podcast, but my... My kind of memories of it as Newcastle were very strong in the first half, created a yep. lot of chances, and then they're kind of hit with a bit of a sucker punch early in the second half. Eric Cantona scores the goal, when from from that moment onwards in the season, I'd say that it was always Man United's title because it, it just kind of it put a pin in Newcastle's aspirations. They had they won that game, I don't have any doubt that they'd went on to win the league. But it, it just was that it was a game where they could have put a a real statement of intent out, but they weren't able to do so. No, and I, I this was I think it was probably this moment when Newcastle's heads really dropped, even though it was quite a while left in the season after this game. But I think mentally that just must have done them in so much. They knew how important it was. You're pretty much spot on with the um, uh, how the game went. Newcastle did boss the first half. They had so many chances. Then Cantona gets that goal, and that's just it's it's kind of killed them from there. Um, so during you know towards the end of the season, Man United they erode like a twelve point. I think I think it's a twelve point lead Newcastle have. They erode that. In doing so, they they win they win seven of these like eleven games one 0 and in five of those games, Cantona's the scorer. So it just goes to show you like how how clutch is Cantona. Like when he, I, I don't think there's any chance they'd have won this league if he'd not you know come come back if he'd got more jail time for <laughs> for him kicking that fan. Um, he's just uh, he's so important. He's such a he, he's, he was such a leader of the team. We talked about Keane earlier, but you know Keane had to step step up before Cantona came back. But when Cantona came back, it's like all right, dad's home kind of thing. And um, I, what else was it? I was going to say about Cantona. I think um, obviously, man, you have this history with like number sevens, and you think George Best, he's he's the guy, and then we had Ronaldo after him, but. There's a reason why Man United fans put Cantona alongside those two. He's very much in the conversation for Man United's best number seven. I think they, you know, they probably put him ahead of Beckham as well. Uh, but you know, alongside Best and Ronaldo, because of times like this, he wasn't there for. I mean, he was there for like five years, so he wasn't there for like you know decades or anything. But he was just it was so important to this team. Probably best exemplified in this season. And that Newcastle goal, they followed that up with a. A pivotal equaliser against QPR at Loftus Road. They earned them a one-one draw. As you said, it was key in the the one-nil victories or one-goal victories he scored against Arsenal, Tottenham, Man City, and Coventry. Three of these games finished one-nil, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously he was the the sole marksman in that game. Mm-hmm. The uh, the victory over Arsenal at Old Trafford. On the 20th of March, that took Man United top of the league. They would suffer a, a setback in this run. So Cantona has scored six goals in six games at that point. They then go to Southampton. And this game will forever live in infamy in terms of Man United 
Started the season wearing that horrendous grey shirt. The uh, led Alan Hansen <laughs> to believe you wouldn't win anything with the kids. You, you go to Southampton, 3 0 down at half time. Man United re emerged for the second half wearing their blue and white away strip instead, mm-hmm. due to the fact that Sir Alex Ferguson claimed that. The players couldn't see each other in the sunshine uh, due to the the colour of those strips. Yeah, uh, you've <laughs> there's been some controversial shirts over over the years, and it's maybe a, a topic that we could cover entirely <laughs> in, a, in yeah. a full episode of the podcast. But as far as excuses go, this is this is quite a <laughs> this is right up there. To be you fair. know, like I I know I mean like Fergie he was. He had a fair few excuses, didn't he? You know, I remember him blaming the pitch. He, I remember he blamed the sunshine for when uh, Vasco da Gama beat them in the World Club Cup final. Uh, but I see as far as this one goes, actually, I kind of buy it. Like, <laughs> in some way, I mean, because, um, you know, the, obviously there's a reason why, you know, people on the motorway and that, they wear <laughs> light, you know, fluorescent uh, outfits. It's, it's to be seen. And... um. If you're, yeah, I'm just trying to picture myself as a footballer. You know, the crowds in the background, you're rushing about. And I imagine it would be harder to pick out a guy wearing a grey strip than it would a blue and white strip, like, or, or a red strip or whatever. And so I can kind of see what he's talking about. So, like, Gary Neville said that they'd actually they brought in this Professor Gail Stevenson. She was their eye coach. So she did, she, so she'd kind of, you know, studied into this. And, um, this is That's a quote from. Ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I want that job, man. So, like, I just, they, just paid a handsome wage to be an eye coach. We're we following a game where, in terms of Scottish football, where we've just got VAR and even then we still don't have goal line technology and such like. Whereas in 1996 in England, they had an eye coach. <laughs> I know. Like, um, Gary Neville is a literally from... 25 years behind. I, 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 when... I, I, would, I would wager that there's no club in Scotland that's got an eye coach. Nah, nah, definitely not. That's that's when you know you're in the big time when probably each player's got their own eye coach at <laughs> Man United. <laughs> but um, I know, and while we're at it, I wish we'd got goal line technology before we got VAR in Scotland, but that's that's another point. But um, yeah, there's a quote from Gary Neville saying, it's going to sound really daft this, but one of the great theories around football that was present that was presented at United at the time was that match sharpness had nothing to do with your physical fitness. It was to do with your eye muscles being able to read things happen, you know, react to things happening on the pitch. So that was his. <laughs> Neville's backing it up, even though he's covering himself by saying it's daft as well. But um, I mean, like, but with this kit, like to Fergie, I think it was like the final straw because I've I I kind of always had this in my mind that this was the only game they that they wore that kit for. But they not they they drawn to not they drawn with Nottingham in it and uh, Nottingham <laughs> they draw, they drawn with Nottingham Forest and they'd lost to as you said the Villa game Arsenal and Liverpool I think so yeah they didn't have a good record with it and um, it just shows Fergie's faith in the kit that you know, they actually brought the third kit with them as well <laughs> just in case uh, but uh, it's 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 pretty unprecedented switching at uh, half time but see if that's like a, a I bet part of it's down to you know superstition as well, which I can very much sympathise with because I'm a very superstitious football watcher. Like if I'm watching a game at home, 
and you know my team aren't doing well, I'll like you know I'll switch position on the couch or whatever, or I'll you know I'll move to a different spot, or I'll like start tidying up the house or something because I I just get I just totally get in my own in my own head about it. And you hear about a lot of you know athletes are very superstitious, so it's not so surprising. But I'm just surprised that they you know the Premier League let it happen. You know they they let they let them switch kits at, at halftime, but um, it does. It does tell you though. There's not many teams that have had a a grey strip. Like I remember England had that one in Euro '96, and um, Porto had one a couple of years ago. They had a grey away kit, but it's it's pretty rare to see it. And I imagine that's why you know um, it's uh, Milan just now. Milan, their third strips like a kind of muddy muddy green color. It's not very nice. But when I've watched them play in that kit, I look at it. It's like I bet that's hard for them to pick each other out. So I hope they don't play it. They hope they don't um, wear it in a important game, but yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a funny anecdote. One other thing, actually, there was um, there was a footage of like the Fergie was doing a kind of interview about it, and um, he's got the poor guy from Umbro with him, <laughs> and like the press are asking the guy from Umbro, like, uh, oh, so do you do you take the blame for this and this happening? <laughs> and the guy's like. Uh, yeah, I suppose we have to if they can't see each other. <laughs> I'm sorry for much. You just told them to fuck off. But um, yeah, uh, Umbro, I think Umbro, they they, they brought a, new, a white strip after this, didn't they? And they um, they took £10 off the price to, um, uh, what's the word? Placate the, um, the man, some of the scorned Man U fans that bought money on this kit. It's a horrible kit, though. Shouldn't have bought it in the first place. <laughs> Forum that Man United were on coming into a, a really crucial part of the season coincided with slump for Newcastle. They had uh, suffered a defeat at Upton Park against West Ham towards the end of February. They then drew 3 3 with Man City. That was prior to the, the defeat against Man United at St James's Park. They did bounce back by beating West Ham. But then followed that up with a defeat at Arsenal. The incredible 4-3 defeat against Liverpool and in, in what is still to this day regarded as one of the all-time classics in in Premier League history. Ironically, the following year it would it'd be repeated again, yeah, wouldn't it? That's but right, the, aye. They, um, they did get a, a win against QPR for losing to at that time, the, the reigning champions, Blackburn, would defeat Aston Villa, Southampton, and then go to Leeds and win 1-0 to at least prolong their, their title challenge. Mm-hmm. It was that night following the game at, at Ellen Road that <laughs> the cracks began to show, shall we say, with, with Kevin Keegan. You could, you could tell that the pressure was very much getting to him. And I yeah. can imagine at that point, Sir Alex Ferguson <laughs> sitting with a, a glass of red. And his fishing rod. <laughs> jubilant. Uh, yeah, it was, it was the... He was Got kind him. of the original troll, wasn't he? It was, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was the, like... The, uh, main game, the main games had set in, and, and <laughs> Keegan had uh, a crack under pressure. Yes, he's... Newcastle team were able to go and, and win at Leeds, but I, I I think at that point he almost kind of asserted that 
Newcastle were going to need a miracle. And, and, and that's basically how it transpired. The, the league was won by four points. There was only two games left at this point in time. In fact, I think Man United might have only had one game left. Let me just double-check that. Yeah, so Man United had won 5-0 at home mm-hmm. to Notts Forest. Uh, and then the following evening, Newcastle win it at Leeds. So it was, they've still got to go to Middlesbrough. And yeah. in the final day, uh, and I'll tell you what, and I'll tell you what, Greg, he would have loved it. <laughs> Castle beat him. He would have loved it, wouldn't he? <laughs> but I, um, just, just to rewind it a bit on that, so like that 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 um, Keegan outburst that came from Man United had played Leeds just before Newcastle played them, and Man United beat them one 0 But it was a very it was a very tough game. And after the game, Fergie, is, you know, he's talking to the reporter, he's saying like, "Why aren't they top six? You know, for for some of them, it seems more important to stop Man United from winning the league than anything else. Like, of course, when they come to Newcastle, you wait and see the difference, kind of thing. And that's what that's what riled Keegan up so much, because um, in that game, like. Um, Leeds get a player sent off and like their, their keeper, not John Lukic this time, <laughs> their keeper gets sent off like early on and Lucas Radley has to play in goals for the rest of the game, you know, like the centre-back. Then he plays pretty well and Man United only get the they get the winner, you know, Keane in the 72nd minute. So obviously Leeds were really making a really good go of it, but yeah, that's what that's what uh, got Keegan so riled up. And um, I was watching like, um, it was like Monday Night Football Carragher was talking to Ginola about it. He was like, "Oh, did you guys know he was? Um, did you guys see this press conference after anything?" And Ginola was like, "No, I could hear him from the changing room. <laughs> I could hear like, and like, could just could, could hear Keegan shouting. And when Keegan's talking about talking about it later, he's like, because he had his headphones on and stuff, he didn't he didn't realize how how loud he was and how much he was shouting and breaking. Um, and he said, like, I think his his son in law he bought him a man his his son in law is a Man United." a fan and he bought him a man new top with I would love it on the back as well so touch a class there from him <laughs> yeah aye, aye, we're just we're down to the last game of the season now aren't we yeah uh, as I say United go into that game in command they just need a a result of, it, of any manner uh, in a positive sense a, a draw or a win would have clinched Man United the league Newcastle on the same day, they remembered they had to go to to Notts Forest uh, or Nottingham, as you earlier referred to them as. <laughs> They're fondly known as. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they played them following the Leeds game and drew 1-1. So you go into the last game of the season, Man United have got a, a two-point advantage uh, over Newcastle. They've got to go to, to Middlesbrough uh, as I said, the goal difference made it as such that United could get away with a draw, uh, whereas Newcastle had to to defeat Tottenham and, and kind of hope for the best. As it transpired, Newcastle would draw 1-1 against Spurs. Uh, Jason Dezel's opener after 57 minutes was cancelled out by Les Ferdinand. 19 minutes from time. United went to Middlesbrough and they came away with a, a very convincing victory. They had suffered last day heartbreak the season before, but uh, goals from David May, Andy Cole, and then Ryan Giggs, uh, nine minutes from the end, secured a, a comfortable 3-0 victory. 
Man United win the league on 82 points. Newcastle in second on 78. Liverpool another seven points behind. Aston Villa claimed fourth spot, which didn't really matter at all. (laughs) (laughs) No. And and Arsenal in fifth. United only went top following that win against Arsenal in the 20th of March. So they've been trailing Newcastle throughout the majority of the season. I've already alluded to the fact that Newcastle, the cracks began to show and and it's really quite telling in the fact that they lost five league games from the 21st of February through to the 8th of, of April. In a league that's as competitive as the English Premier League, you simply can't afford to do that, Greg, can you? And they, they got two wins during that period, but they've lost the five league games. They've also drawn at Man City as well. That that was when the league was lost. It wasn't mm-hmm. stumbling at, at Notts Forest or, or stumbling in the final day against against Tottenham. They just mm-hmm. had a, a torrid run between late February and, and early April that was so, so costly. Yeah, I mean, the second half of um, Newcastle season, it's a pretty stark contrast to the first. I think the first half of the season, they scored something like 40 goals. Second half was only... 24, something like that. And, um, you know, they get, they get, or 26 maybe, but anyway, they get, because they obviously, they get labelled as the great entertainers, this new Newcastle team, but they ended, they actually ended up scoring less goals than Man United and Liverpool in third. And um, I was watching the same, the same Monday Night Football I was watching with Ginola. They, they kind of asked what happened. And Ginola said the first half of the season, they were just kind of playing for fun. They're, you know, no, no, not really any pressure. And then the second half of the season, a lot of fans were kind of coming up to them saying, oh, man, you're going to do it, we're going to do it. Even fans of non-Man United, um, you know, non-Man United teams, they were all wanting Newcastle to win it. And I, I think just the mental pressure really got to them in this case. And Keegan, as <laughs> as we discussed, Fergie kind of, um, I just kind of toyed with him, I think, didn't he? <laughs> as you said, sitting back with his glass of wine, he just, he, he got him. And then um, that was it. It was Man United's league. And it wasn't just the league that Man United would have success in either. The, uh, the run to the, the FA Cup final against Liverpool was was really significant. They, they began with a 2-2 draw against Sunderland and then would beat them in the replay. Uh, Andy Cole scored in the last minute uh, to win that match. Following that, they defeat Reading 3-0. They would win a Manchester derby in round five, two one. Defeat Southampton in the quarterfinals, uh, courtesy of goals from Eric Cantona and Lee Sharp. The semi final would be one two one against Chelsea, uh, goals from Andy Cole and David Beckham, and then the final. And it's it's quite strange when think back to football growing up. There's games that just really kind of live long in the memory and I think the following year's final uh, where Roberto Di Matteo scored the the incredible goal in the, the opening minutes yeah. against Middlesbrough is one that I can can vividly remember yeah, uh, me too. watching yeah. it at my grandpa's house and the FA Cup final was obviously such a 
a day of, of great magnitude. You would get football focus on from quite often nine o'clock in the morning right through. So you would you would see all the highlights of the of all the games throughout the competition right up until the build up from Wembley. The buses arriving at Wembley, aye. Yeah, it was, it was kind of almost comparable to kind of what you would describe with. Uh, sorry, I've, I've got really distracted here because the, the Union Berlin uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach games on in the background, <laughs> and uh, Mönchengladbach just scored, and the celebration was the boy running away after scoring. And one of his teammates just running, kicking him up the arse. Classic Bundesliga. Lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> FA Cup final. Yeah, it was, and the same with the, the Scottish Cup final as well. It was, it was a day with so much significance, which isn't the case anymore, and it's a real shame. Is is something that really kind of pains me as a, a supporter of. Um, if you are a smaller club, Mother winning the the Scottish Cup in ninety one is you could hack my bank accounts and my passwords and everything else <laughs> by just using ninety one at the end of it. <laughs> uh, because that that is just such a uh, an occasion and a, an event that will live with me forever. Uh, it's such a historic moment for Mother Football Club winning the the Scottish Cup, and when you see now, especially down south, teams putting out the reserves or, or prioritising the league over, what is a an opportunity? Because for the for the clubs, for instance, a Leeds United, they're not going to win the, the Premier League, not in, in this current financial climate where there's six or seven teams that have got such financial power, uh, and then even the top kind of six or seven of that, you could maybe go to the top two who have got financial clout well beyond the rest, and they're going to dominate for that reason. To then go and see them half-arse the cups, it must mm-hmm. be so frustrating for the supporters as well because that that's that an opportunity for glory. And, I... and, to, and, and to kind of you look at some of the results in, in recent years where big teams going out against championship or league one opposition and in denying the, the fans the opportunity to go on that journey. And I, as I say, I can remember 91 so vaguely. I can tell you more about it now because I've watched footage of it <laughs> for so many years and and since then, even mother, they've been to a couple of cup finals, but not been able to to get the job done. But it was it's days that will will live with me forever because it's just it's just such a an important occasion for the the town and mm-hmm. the buzz, and it, it it gets it gets everyone a wee bit of a lift, which is 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 a beautiful thing that I think. Is unique to football in terms of it's capable of bringing people together and and acting as a as a wee bit of escapism really uh, from difficult times. Yeah. Even mother winning the 
the, the Cup in 91 came at a time where industry had been, the steelworks had been shut and everything. Mm. so many people losing their jobs and really kind of difficult times. But the football club gave that bit of a, a lift and that escapism that I, I've already alluded to there. What, what I'm trying to say, <laughs> anyway, in the most long-winded way ever, what I'm, I'm going to say <laughs> is that at this time, Man United versus Liverpool in an FA Cup final was a an occasion of gangantian proportions, wasn't it? It was a mm-hmm. huge, huge match, and Liverpool, albeit they had been having a, a barren spell in terms of hadn't won the league for for quite some time, and maybe weren't the force that they had been throughout the the eighties, but this was a, a real occasion for them to to put a marker out and they did absolutely batter Man United for the, the majority of that final. But when you've got a player with the capabilities of Eric Cantona, then big occasions are just suited so perfectly to big players. See, when you talked about them laying out a marker, I thought you were going to talk about their white suits, <laughs> Liverpool's. <laughs> that, that, that's my kind of main memory of uh, this cup final. Uh, I remember, I do I do remember it being a pretty drab game, though, i got to say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice goal from Cantona that, that, that um, wins it, though. Uh, and it's such a such a historic rivalry, obviously, Man United and Liverpool. But yeah, I but just to echo what you said, though, the, the, the cup finals were such a huge deal. But then I still try and kind of make an effort with them. You know, like I'll still try and like maybe I'll get my brother around or something. We'll have a few drinks. We'll like get some food and stuff, um, even if it's not United in the final, which it tends not to be. Um, but I will still like still try to make an effort, but it's it's nowhere near what it's um what it was like back then. And you think, particularly for English teams, it should be a big deal for them because if you think about it, like oh yeah, would you rather win the FA Cup or finish top four? I'd say top four, get Champions League football, get money and all that. But English teams are like filthy rich, no matter what, no matter how bad they are. <laughs> so you think like um. If I was an English team, I would rather, yeah, I would, uh, you know, I'd rather win the FA Cup than finish than finish uh, fourth because wins and uh, like say if you if uh, let's take Leeds for example, when are they when are they ever going to uh, yeah even if they did get in the Champions League, what damage are they going to do really? But would you not prefer actually winning a title? And it just doesn't seem it it just doesn't really resonate with younger fans. I don't think at all um, the way the way the league does and the European competitions do. Um, it's just it's just one of those things that seems to have gone by the wayside. But back then, Man United doing the double, which was a huge thing back then. Yeah, it's so significant. And I think that the precursor to this podcast or the, the kind of open gambit was that Alan Hansen had been very dismissive of, of Man United's opportunities in it or prospects for the season ahead. I, I think that Alan Hansen must wake up in a, a cold sweat and what's what we reminded about those comments on a, a daily basis. But I, I, I do think that even from the outset and from looking into this subject, 
I think what he said was pretty realistic at the mm-hmm. at the opening of the season, and, and it was further backed up by that poor result on the opening day. The the introduction of, of Eric Cantona, the reintroduction into the team of, of Eric Cantona when he returned from his ban was so, so significant because he would normally make allowances for a, a player coming back from that seven or eight month absence that he had and expect a bit of rust and that he wouldn't be quite up to the speed for a wee while. Instead, Cantona hit the ground running and that is, it was so significant in Man United going on to win the league and, and subsequently the FA Cup as well because you look back at all the key moments during that season and it's, it's not the class of 92 that mm-hmm. came up with those. It was Eric Cantona. He scores the winning goal at Newcastle. He scores the winning goal in the the FA Cup final. Yeah. He's also got that run where he scores the equaliser against QPR, the winner against Arsenal, the winner against Spurs, the winner against Coventry, all one nil victories. It's just uh yeah. It, that that is the season that he properly excelled. It was a, a career that was always based around genius. But I, I don't think that Cantona ever hit the heights that he did again. No, that he did no. in 95-96. Well, he retired, I think, the year after, didn't he? Or two years after. And, um, yeah, you know, at a fairly young age. Um, he always he always was. You know, football was just like, it wasn't his whole life, I don't think. It was just, he obviously liked his acting and stuff like that, didn't he? So, yeah, he's just one of the guys. He's probably just not fully um, in love with the game, I guess. But he was, uh, he was pretty good at it. <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, he, he was he was justified in retiring as well because he obviously went on and uh, did the the Cronenberg adverts, and <laughs> I'm sure you would agree that despite the fact that his achievements at Man United were off the scale, there's never been anything better than him advertising That's that pinnacle. delicious beer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's peaked there. <laughs> Um, other acting did he do? Uh, you're you're quite good with your uh, oh. your obscure bits of knowledge. Have you got anything that you can? Shit. <laughs> See, <laughs> uh, I'll just type it in now. Eric Cantona movies. Um, oh well, I was obviously looking for Eric, but apart from that, uh, Papillon Noir, two thousand eight, The Salvation, twenty fourteen, um, The Overeater, two thousand three. Plenty of stuff, man. Lots of good stuff. <laughs> Inhumane all... resources in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. All um Oscar nominees, I think. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm actually quite astounded. I've got I've got it up just now as well. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's uh I've got a few. One that catches my eye is two thousand and eight French film. <laughs> Who could forget? <laughs> what about two, what about two thousand twelve? Porn in the hood. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He uh, plays a football coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have Andy. Um, uh, so like, 
Obviously, we're talking about uh, the FA Cup final, and we talked about it briefly on the um, PSG episode, but the song, Move, 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 the Red Tribe, <laughs> it's maybe time to go a bit deeper into that, as <laughs> um, our kind of pop culture spotlight of this of this episode. Um, I don't know if you've you got a chance to go back to it at all, but um, I so this is Man United's FA Cup song, but it did get to number one around uh, this time as well. Um, but it's like, um, you know that song uh, I like to move it, move it it's basically the same same pretty, pretty much the same riff as that because that song was like and this Man United song's like it's like a total rip off of that it's a bit like um, I won't make I won't make WCW references every episode, but it's like when WCW they just for, for wrestlers uh, music they just ripped off song like Jericho's song was just even flow and like Rick Steiner's song was just welcome to the jungle. But <laughs> so it was basically that. But um I it was the um, the video as well, great video. It's a mix of like you know Man United football highlights and the lads in the studio, you know, laying down some tracks. Just <laughs> it was just them singing pretty much. But you see Pete Waterman and there as well. Uh twiddling the knobs um but it's quite it's quite it's quite nice though like it, it, it does um players look like they're having fun it lends a bit of um makes them seem a bit more human a bit more approachable like even Roy Keane Roy Keane looks quite up for a laugh during the video he's like smiling away Andy Cole though he looked he he couldn't look more bored he's 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 having none of it <laughs> Andy Cole would, would go on to have a a bit more of a yeah a career in the, the music industry uh maybe, maybe that that's why to Andrew Cole. Andrew, uh, what, what was his song? Goals Outst- or something like that? Out- outstanding. That was his. Outstanding, that's right. <laughs> yeah. With my favourite lyric, United forever, whatever, the weather, less than 100%, never. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Fletcher's in that like video that? as well, by the way. <laughs> Fletcher and Green Team's a brief cameo in that Andy Cole video. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot to unpack. Yeah. The, the thing is that we're almost kind of going off in too many tangents here that I can't, my mind can't keep up. And <laughs> while I'm doing that, I'm also reading the plot line for uh, Porn in the Hood, which <laughs> is, and I quote directly from Wikipedia: "The film follows the misadventures of three young men, Mouston." I'm not sure what the other guy's name is, and Momo, who have been friends since childhood and never left their hometown. Unemployed, without ambition or a purpose in life, they spend part of their time watching porn films <laughs> and eventually become convinced that entering the porn industry could make them rich and famous. They meet a sleazy producer who asks them to provide a video demonstration. Oh, that's Embarking on a quest to find a girl for their video, the three friends must face a series of humiliating mishaps. What does Frank... Uh, what, what is Frank? What is Eric Cantona doing this film? He's a coach uh, of the football team. It makes uh, no fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds a bit like that Zach and Mary make a porno, like a wee bit. Um, maybe that was the French um, translation of that. A wee bit, but... Yeah, I mean, at least he's a football coach. At least it's at least we're keeping it very, very brief, very tangentially football related here. <laughs> but I was looking at like um, not not for a specific week for the number one, but this was um, 
you when you look at the number ones for this season, it's like pure massive hits, you know, because this was this was like the blur of the oasis time. Like when this season just kicked off, this was, you know, the country house versus row with it. Um, you know, the battle for number one. Uh do you got do you got a favourite for the two? Blur massively. Ah, right. Uh, oasis, probably. Uh, uh, I've always loved Blur. Uh, I don't, don't get me wrong, I, I don't actually uh I don't have any kind of issue with well, in fact, that's a lie. I think both <laughs> the Gallagher brothers are fucking wankers, but uh <laughs> I, I was they, they've See... had some some musical highlights. I've never ever seen and this is we're going so far off the subject here, but mm-hmm. I've never ever seen someone so keen to distance themselves from the most successful part of their career as No No Gallagher is yeah. with Oasis. Yeah, because Liam's a bit so more strange. Yeah, because Liam, he, he's a bit more, uh, he plays a lot of the Oasis tunes live. But I think back then I liked Noel, but I didn't like Liam. But now I like Liam and I don't like Noel. So I don't, just shows you how. And I, I don't know if time's mailed him out a wee bit, but uh, I just I think I just kind of find him funny, you know, in interviews and stuff. It's not it's not like I genuinely want to be pals with him. But, <laughs> but I, you had like other, like, I mean, uh, like Prodigy Firestarter, that, that was number one during this time as well. And. Uh, your gorgeous baby birds equally big hit. <laughs> uh, the uh, I had the I had the single uh, of uh, baby bird gorgeous, nice. and the 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 B side was a song that just uh, pull your pants down and dance around completely naked on the dance floor. An interesting bit of advice there, but uh, <laughs> something that you see why it's the B side. Would maybe because well. This this is also it seems to be creeping into kind of modern culture. There was a guy in the pub last night, uh, seemingly dressed as Walter White, <laughs> like when he was lost in the the desert. <laughs> uh, so he was just out wearing a pair of Y fronts. Fair, and I mean, I suppose it wasn't yeah. that cold last night. To be fair, it's usually colder in this time in Glasgow, but I uh, fair enough though. Still, I wouldn't do it. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely bold. It's, uh, it's also an awkward when people are sitting down and uh, asking him what he's wearing. You're just kind of <laughs> what does it look like? Directly talking to his, his genitals. But there we go. <laughs> but that's just, it, mate. That's that's all I've got. <laughs> there's uh, 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 I don't think we've really got anything else to to cover. We went so far off, and in yeah. the background just now, I'm watching. Carol Fletcher playing uh, table football in the Andy Cole <laughs> video for outstanding. I don't know how much the Man United purists will like this episode, but <laughs> hope he's didn't mind a bit more off the cuff one than usual. <laughs> but that's uh, it's uh, on, on top of that, we've uh, we've got some plans for a a dream team episode, and we possibly should gauge a bit of the opinion on. Whether this is a good idea or not. Replies uh, like God no. <laughs> I was covering a, a football match yesterday and opened up my laptop, forgetting that I had made notes on the first <laughs> season of Dream Team as, as my last work document. So I, I brought it up and the, the guy just looking beside me, just sitting looking at my laptop, and I'm quickly trying to scramble this document shot. <laughs> 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 And it would be better off if you uh, just had Bournemouth. The first bullet point was Ron Atkinson. 
he lost the one game before leaving for the second one. The second one is funeral cause of death. Sky logo and scarf draped around the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's gonna be some uh, there's gonna be some death count when we do when we do finally cover Dream Team. <laughs> it's every series, ten deaths at least, I think. <laughs> uh, the the thing is there's only so many plane crashes and uh bus crashes or even the of course the uh the demise of Carol Fletcher where he was impaled by a clothes peg. Clothes peg, aye, yeah. <laughs> um, there there's misfortune and then there's <laughs> a career with Harchester United. It was um yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to cover in that, so we'll uh, we'll maybe kind of we'll see how that pans out. Uh, there's still quite a lot of episodes to be watched in the meantime. Lot of so research, we'll... uh, serious research needed. Uh. What I'll do is we'll uh, we'll regroup in a couple of weeks' time uh, with our next episode. We've got a few kind of options there, but uh, I don't think this one will be on Harchester. We'll. No, 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 not yet. What, what takes a fancy, and, and maybe even actually kind of open it up to a wee bit of a poll in the next couple of weeks, where mm-hmm. those that are good enough to to be listening to the podcast can can give us a wee idea of what they want to to listen to. But for now, though, Greg, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks very much, mate. You too. You've been listening to that was football. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>